Hi, I'm Chris, and welcome to this week's episode of To Be Published, a podcast that provides organizational leaders with the tools to integrate and synchronize sustainment and to generate combat power. The views and opinions expressed here are our own and do not reflect the views and opinions of the Department of Defense, the Combined Arms Center, or Army University. So the U.S. Army likes to fight away games, uh, and some historians will argue that expeditionary power projection is a part of the American way of war. The Army Campaign Plan states that expeditionary capability is the ability to promptly deploy combined arms forces worldwide into any area of operations and conduct operations upon arrival. Expeditionary operations require the ability to deploy quickly and with little notice, rapidly shape conditions in the operational area, and operate immediately upon arrival, exploiting successes and consolidating tactical and operational gains. Those capabilities are more than just physical attributes. They begin with a mindset that pervades the force. Today, to talk about deploying the division, we have the 1st Infantry Division DTO team, Major J.C. Schmidt, CW2 John Young, and Sar Major Teodoro Martinez. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Good morning. First, I was wondering if you could tell us and our listeners about the role of the DTO as a shop and then your roles individually in the deployment process. Yeah, absolutely. So the DTO, the Division Transportation Officer, is shop. Uh, so primarily it's myself, my SAR major, and uh, the mobility warrant for the division, uh, as well as two captains that are normally assigned, um, as well as uh, two NCOs that help us maintain visibility for the division, uh, regulate movements in and around our area. Uh, so here on Fort Riley, or if we were to go forward to a uh, deployed environment, they would that crew, that team would be essential in regulating movements uh, throughout the division's area of operation. So kind of start with myself as, uh, as the head of the section, I, I coordinate those activities. Um, in a deployed environment, I'm gonna be running the division's mobility board, approving movements within the AO and deduplicting them as both our division internal units are using the routes as well as uh, assets above brigade uh, and even reaching back to uh, our passback support, our reinforcing support with a, whatever sustainment brigade or CSSBs are operating in the area or other divisions that have to cross those routes too in order to meet the commander's intent. So I'm gonna be doing that uh, as well as really providing options to the commander as far as transportation. When we look at deploying the division, uh, it's my job to understand the intent from my commander, which is nested of course uh, up to the chain of command and then I work with the transportation enterprise, uh, both the external the surface deployment distribution command, transcom, um, as well as our installation folks here, our installation transportation office provides us outstanding support, but synchronizing those resources and those players in order to give the commander options to meet his intent and his commander's intent. And I really do that. Um, a lot of my job is orchestrating, planning, looking ahead and briefing but a lot of the nug work and the actual getting the data in uh, will be done by my shop. And I'll kind of hand it off to um, Chief Warrant Officer Young, Transportation Officer of the Year for uh, this year to kind of go through some of the individual pieces of that. Hey, congratulations, Chief Young. I was just 
Smooth Club, Sarah, how you everybody doing? My name is CW2 John Young. Uh, as my role as a division mobility officer, uh, I'm more of the strategic focus, strategic movement person, uh, and the subject matter expert when it comes to transportation and, and the transportation enterprise. My main focus um, comes down to, if we were going to go the easiest way to explain it, is the time phase deployment data or the TIDFID um, and synchronizing the movements across the transportation enterprise um, by managing the TIDFID and taking the commander's intent for his deployment um, and redeployment and then planning that so it meets the SECDEF's, the Global Force Management Plan, which is, again, managed by the TIDFID. Um, and I am the person who advises the commander. I can, I, I don't make decisions. Um, I just let them know how we can best execute their intent. Um, sometimes the warrant officer's role um, gets kind of pushed in, in different ways. Um, when it comes to the DTO or in, in your brigades, as you go out into be brigade commanders or in the fours or your threes, um, your warrant officers are there to advise the commander and, and, and not necessarily plan, and we, we definitely can't task. So I think that's really important to make sure the, the command teams understand uh, when they're utilizing they're warrant officers, but that's that's kind of where I fit in in the division in the DTO. Uh, but I would not be successful at all if it wasn't for the Sergeant Major. So, hi, um, this is Sergeant Major Martinez, and I'm the one uh, ID DTO Sergeant Major. Uh, pretty much, my job is to uh, operate pretty much at the point of friction, uh, and I think that's the best utilization. The, uh, my OIC can have for me because sometimes we, we operate it in both uh, future ops and current ops. So when, when the waters get milky, uh, that's when he sent me out and say, hey, Simon, I need you to smooth out these. Uh, we either uh, internal or external entities or subordinated brigades. Uh, also, uh, I'm, I'm the readiness oversight for all the CDDP requirements within the division. So I made sure that uh, we are setting conditions uh, for the brigades to be prepared to deploy forward. And that's the um, command, command deployment discipline. discipline program. Yeah, perfect. So, so I, I, I'm pretty much, uh, you know, uh, also applied the, 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 the tactical piece of the common sense of on the planning phase, uh, because, you know, most of the senior staff operate in, in, in the uh, strategic and operational level. Uh, so, so sometimes I had to bring the, the, the enlisted voice uh, on how this plan will be feasible uh, for, for the soldiers to execute in the ground and what constraint uh, may occur uh, that, that it, it will not be permissive to, to that plan to be executed accordingly. Uh, other than that, that's, that's what I do day in, day out, and uh, uh, I'm pretty much like the glue for, for, for the team. And that's such a critical role because... Well, a lot of times we think of deployment as this uh, strategic or operational process and task and tip fids and lots of data and, and spreadsheets. Really, it's not going to happen unless somebody's 
lashing a truck to a ship or tying it down to a rail car or loading it onto that rail car in the dark, in the rain, right, trying to get out of Fort Riley or Fort Campbell or to deploy. Uh, One of the things that you mentioned, um, and typically I think of the DTO as really just that deployment and redeployment from home station process. Uh, But in your opening statement, you mentioned route regulation uh, and what the DTO does during the employment phase when you're conducting operations. Uh, Can you talk a little bit more about that? And it's kind of the broader movement control piece to that. So um, if division is, has an area of operations forward um, for in large scale combat operations, for instance, you'll have multiple divisions online, you'll have four behind them, four areas. Um, and then you've seen a lot of iterations on this uh, as doctrine. Now the, the rear command posts a lot of that responsibility to, to control that area behind the brigades, uh, your maneuver brigades that are on the front line, uh, that a lot of responsibility is going to come in the rear command post and rear command post ability to um, to see that and to keep control of that and eyes on it, it is through the DTO shop. Uh, we have the piece by the MTO uh, to be able to provide route regulation just depending on, uh, you know, what the commander's intent is and how closely we need to control those routes make sure they're free uh, for what the commander needs them for uh, and to make sure that the movements back and forth are being conducted safely and we work uh, very closely with protection cell to make sure those routes um, stay open and if not what our options are to still meet the commander's intent by moving via different routes or different modes uh, let me let me caveat something uh, uh, as major me alluded everything pertaining to uh, uh, large large scale uh, combat operations and how we will be functioning within our boundaries uh, but also in garrison uh, we, we reach out to our ITO and extend it out to the uh, Kansas DOT uh, when we need to move convoys within their uh, uh, civilian um, uh, interstates uh, or routes uh, so, so we do that in order to make sure that we are in compliance and we uh, the, the, the Kansas DOT requirements and to make sure the uh, our, our convoys goes out of the installation, you know, uh, meeting all the requirements necessary to execute their mission. So I just want to caveat that uh, as, as garrison requirements for the DTO. No, that, that's perfect. Oh, go ahead, Chief. Kind of add on to what uh, the DTO and the Sergeant Major kind of said, where the mobility officer kind of plays a role into the large combat operations and the, and the skills would be uh, like the strategic movement piece. Uh, when it comes to retrograde and to uh, refit. So if we're, you know, doing large scale operations, you know, that's some of the coordinations to, to make sure that we're sinking from the point point of origin into where, you know, to the, to the rear command post and, and, and forward. Um, and then here at, you know, stateside or, or in just normal day-to-day operations, um, linking in with the other with the other divisions across the army, uh, trying to synchronize. Hey, we have these guys that are going to deploy, probably on or around the same time as your guys. Can we add, you know, a piece into your flight so we're not trying to request from Transcom a completely different separate movement? Uh, our area of operation actually really 
close to set. And I think that's two of my favorite words, uh, integration and synchronization. Uh, and so you guys are really integrating not only your division, uh, not only within the departments or transportation uh, with the garrison, but also across the Army, uh, joint with Transcom and then also the other divisions. That's awesome. Sticking to that role a little bit uh, in that discussion, I wonder if you could expand upon, uh, and this is a little bit outside, but how do you work? You mentioned the ITO. With the garrison, uh, maybe with the LRC or the AFSBNs, who are some of the other players on the installation that help deploy one ID? Yeah, absolutely. And you talked about ITO, the Installation Transportation Office. We're constantly in contact with them. Um, they've, in the recent years, you know, um, past 10 or so, they've really been plussed up. Their capability is tremendous, especially here on Fort Riley. Uh, they have a lot of experience uh, and a lot of very knowledgeable and very hardworking uh, civilians down there that really help provide a lot of continuity uh, and a lot of really that background information because they're working with the same uh, points of contact within the transportation enterprise day in and day out. Uh, whereas uh, DCO comes through for a year and then everyone's got the, uh, you know, the cycles of the army, everyone's PCS. So they really help us a lot. Uh, with that longevity piece and then really um, technical matter expertise when it comes to ordering rail cars and kind of helping us we'll go down and run a railhead but they'll provide the tools uh, make sure that we have everything we need and help us uh, help the units get out just with that subject matter expert and a lot of um, individual contracts as well we have to contract for additional lift assets or movement assets if a unit is trying to load all of their movement assets onto a train um, there's still a requirement to move different things containers back from the motor pools down to the area um, our method of deployment is a little bit different than a lot of other installations you'll see like uh, fort hood texas you know they have the the drift the deployment um, what is it readiness training requirements field yeah, uh, that's DRRF. So that that everything moves from the motor pools to there, is staged, and then that's the final check. Then they get on the trains. Um, we do kind of a force load model here, where we'll do all the checks in the motor pools. Um, we'll do tips and scales on the way down, usually in route, and then when they roll into the rail yard, they roll right up on the cars and move, and it. Uh, it streamlines the process a little bit from our point of view. Of course, you know, there's drawbacks to it as well. Um, we're just making sure units are ready, but we've got a pretty good system in place and the ITO helps us a lot with that to make sure we get, meet all the movement requirements um, before we leave the motor pool. That way, there's a little bit less organizational energy required to get to one point and then load up on the trains whereas we're able to put all that energy one one shot, get down to the rail yard, get on the trains and get them out of here. Um, a couple of years ago, they, they kind of proofed that concept and Fort Riley did really good um, getting brigades out on, an, on a 96 hour timeline. We still some improvements that we do need on infrastructure, but those are all been identified and they're working really well on that. So as far as a force protection platform, Fort Riley's uh, 
does a really good job at it. And we couldn't do that without our ITO team uh, in the AFSBN and their support. So, so I, I can add a little bit onto that, right? So um, Fort Riley is a force, uh, force projection platform, or but it's not just the ITO and the AF, AFSBN, right? They do a lot, like Major Schmidt was saying, um, but we also have um, some of the garrison agencies and, and then just the other other units um, that are that are around around the air around the area because when you think about deployment um, you can't just think about moving your soldiers and your equipment you also have to think of all of the things that go along with that and preparedness and SRP uh, medical uh, uh, just storing of the soldiers POVs right um, I get beat up by a sergeant major because I forget about the soldiers sometimes. <laughs> and that's that's why when I think it's really critical deployment and redeployment planning is to have um, not only your, your your planning team, right? You're, you're off your field grades and your, and, your, and your company grade commanders and things like that in the room, but you really need to have your NCOs, senior NCOs in the room. And if you can get one, get you, get you a, a warrant officer in each field because deployment and redeployment touches on every single war fighting function. Um, and someone is going to have to say, hey man, did you think about how we're gonna feed everybody when we're down at the railhead? And it's usually the Sergeant Major, because I'll forget about it. I'm telling you right now, I'm thinking about, did we get all the, all the equipment on the train? Is the boat gonna arrive at the port on the time that I want it to? Because if it doesn't, it won't get to where we're getting off to get, um, the port of debarkation and i'll forget about oh man did we send soldiers down to the port that's so make sure that you guys when you're planning and when you start your planning process and again planning starts six months prior to the first moving piece of equipment or personnel so one caveat to that is that you know our, our garrison uh, command team and all the uh, pre-deployment activities that occur here in the installation is is, is outstanding. Uh, we, we get support from, uh, you know, the SRP side, we get support from SJA, we get support from uh, IAC, uh, the hospital, uh, we get DENTAC involved. Uh, so all these requirements, they are sometimes associated with the quality of life of a soldier. Uh, it, it get done prior to deployment. Uh, so, so garrison as a as a as a partner to the division, uh, it does outstanding job. Uh, also, going back to the ITO and what can what they do for us besides the typical deployments and redeployment activities uh, at the railhead or at the line hole yard, they also help us out to expand the bandwidth. Uh, and sometimes when we need some assets that are external, uh, um, you know, no army standard equipment. Uh, let's say we need a RGM uh, or we need a, 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 a low void uh, to move some equipment that we don't have in, in, in the Army inventory. They, they help us out to reach out and, and try to outsource it, resources those assets for us. So uh, I just want to emphasize those, those, those two aspects uh, of deployment and redeployment that sometimes don't get uh, too much attention on. Yeah, and one last thing from my Foxhole Chief brought up a really good point about um, all war fighting functions. So uh, at the four shop, you know, I'm the division transportation officer, but I don't have, you know, the tasking authority really calling or um, pulling the G3 and G5. So their G5 is doing your plan 
and G3, you know, has the authority um, from the commander and can do the taskings and really publish those movements and make sure that the plan that's been put together out of the, the core shop, that we help pull together the pieces uh, from higher headquarters and this is how the unit wants to meet the commander's intent. Um, it's really critical that we integrate the G3 and that it's not just relegated to, hey, the G4 is gonna deploy us, get us there. Um, we're gonna leave that in the core shop and the three is um, just what you don't wanna avoid is a three focusing on, hey, this is what we're gonna do when they get there and, and not realizing that deployment is an operation. Uh, all those different warfighting functions um, really need to be drawn together to put a comprehensive plan together and that plan needs to flow straight through. There's not a clean break. Hey, we're just gonna deploy and then we're gonna get there. We're gonna build combat power and fight. Uh, it's, it's not the way it works. It's one continuous operation. If you try to segregate it, uh, it's just gonna cause issues. And so is, is there any boards, bureaus or cell centers, working groups that you have habitually standing up to do that coordination uh, between the warfighting functions? Yeah, absolutely. So I really like, like the model we have here at Fort Riley. So uh, every day at 1500, we have a movement sync and it's not run by the G4, it is run by the G3. Uh, we are absolutely in there. We're a key voice in there. Uh, we have our ITO on, they are great about keeping us on track uh, if we lose sight of a requirement uh, because readiness is, is a lot more than just, um, you know, being trained and having your equipment operational, uh, having those CDP requirements, those deployment discipline requirements filled um, is a huge piece to being ready. And it's really critical and helpful to have the three on there to help pound the units. Hey, why don't you have two guys that are hazmat trained? Um, I was just looking through the, the RSOM um, call letter the other day from, uh, from the Europe, European theater. And you know, the biggest thing they said in there was, hey, units aren't showing up with two people that are hazmat qualified. Well, that's a regulatory requirement. And if we're not ready continually, um, when you're notified and you're trying to get out the door, that's the wrong time to try to get a guy through a two week class uh, to get qualified to do all your hazmat documentation. So speaking of that, what are some other things that tactical units, uh, kind of probably battalion and below, must do ahead of time in order to prepare for a deployment? And it could be a no-notice deployment or a, a rotational force deployment that we're, we're preparing for six months in advance. Right. <laughs> so there's a, there's, a lot, there's a lot to that. That's a really good, that was a really good question, sir. So um, one of the first things to say is CDDP, right? So our major would beat you up on that all the time. Um, but to expand on that from like a company level and a tactical level is, is have an understanding of your MTO, right? And understanding of your, your metal task. And then think, if I'm going to go into a theater, how would I execute my metal task? What equipment do I need to bring with me? And have that at a company level movement plan, which will go up to the battalion level, go up to the brigade. It makes it significantly easier. And with that, having your OEL being maintenance and understanding the difference between the OEL and the property book and understanding that process is extremely beneficial. Um, I would say at the company and the battalion level. And the OEL is the organizational equipment list. Yes, that's correct. And it's maintained in TCAM. So having those TCAM's operators trained uh, and their accounts active, because they go inactive every 30 days and, and we track that by the each's. 
having those guys trained so that the commander can say, hey, these are the pieces I need, and they can go into the system and say, yes, sir, they're all there, or they're wrong. Every time you change the configuration of a piece of equipment, you, you know, tear down the bows and tarps on LMTV. That is, sits in TCAMs differently under a different LIN, LIN index. And so every time a new piece of equipment's fielded, um, going in and keeping those OELs up to date is critical, and that is an often overlooked piece um, in addition to the other requirements, one of the big ones being containers. Um, your containers are good for five years after your issue, and then after that, you got to check them every two years. And you got to do the, um, the CSC certification to make sure that they can get on a vessel. Without that, and without being correct in the joint container management um, system, deployment's going to be a lot harder. You're not going to, you're going to be spending a lot of time catching up on regulatory requirements that you're required to be in compliance with, you know, um, by DA order, you're sitting wasting time on that instead of, you know, doing the MDMP, looking at your mission and training your guys up. Couple of, couple of things that I can highlight in there is how we assess the unit to know whether they are uh, in the readiness status to deploy. Uh, you know, the division used the, the, the three exercise uh, deployment uh, deployment readiness exercise, uh, and we also do loadouts uh, exercise. So, so that's the way that we go by as a DTO uh, to the to the unit footprint and observe the process and evaluate. So we do level one, level two, level three, uh, three exercise, and then we allow the unit in the process to also execute a lot a lot X exercise, whether it is a forces three L map and the uh, side nets, top nets. Uh, and, and also a 20-foot uh, container and how to load them up, you know, properly for the deployment. Uh, so uh, that helped, uh, you know, us to observe the, the level of readiness of the unit and also uh, for the unit itself to uh, assess where they are and what they need to fix in order to be uh, in, 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 in a ready deployment uh, uh, status. A uh, couple, of, couple of, you know, regulations that we use to, to, to kind of control that, uh, we focus on AR uh, 52593. Uh, we, we use the ATP 3-35. Uh, we also uh, uh, use the guideline of force cone uh, regulation uh, 55-1. And, and, and we always encourage the units to go back into the, depo the deployer's tool, a toolbox uh, on the, the Transportation Corps website. There's a lot of great information in there that help the units to be prepared for deployments. Yeah, that's a, uh, a great resource that I've looked at frequently, that deployer's toolbox uh, on CASCOM and, and the Transportation Corps website. Uh, if I could circle back to something, you had mentioned data, whether it's talking about the TIBFID, whether it's talking about the OEL. How do you guys, and this is a, a I'm an AI guy, I'm a big data a kind of fan. Um, how are you using data to visualize deployments and help the commander visualize the process sir so for for me right I'm, I'm usually the data i'm usually the data guy I'm, I'm the one who scrubs through the oels and the udl which is a unit deployment list um and the tidfid and and kind of and and kind of how that goes what what i use um is, is more of like for for the command teams right is an overall piece count broken down into different uh, like rolling stock or, or your, your prime movers, um, your, your tanks, 
um, and, and other things like that, like the, the big buzz items that they, so let them understand how much equipment we're actually moving. Um, the, how, and how every time that changes, it can possibly change our mode of transportation requirement and how I need your requirements as soon as possible because it takes multiple days to source these these the vessel for example you know 60 days out 90 days out um for you to source for you to source these these requirements so i need your udl um 90 days out but for transcom to validate it in the tidfit and if it doesn't get validated uh that just slows the process i might not meet the movement timeline because i don't have that data also historically right so it's using the historical data from from other movements and other operations most of the time the deployment the units will deploy in the same configuration so if you have a new group or a new command or someone who's brand new in the sea you say hey this is what the last person did and, you know take this and to give you a start point when you're working through your mdmb process um we get, like major smith was saying that the lin indexes and tc aims and the transportation configuration that's all data and that data has to be validated and if it's not when it's in the system it, it continue each way it goes up higher and eventually it gets into the tidfit which is at the highest level um if that information is not correct you know sourcing the vessel sourcing the aircraft um planning the train movement uh, it can can cause significant problems. And so really, I think one of the takeaways there is data cleanliness uh, at Absolutely. the point of entry, making sure that you're filling out those spreadsheets correctly, uh, bumper numbers, um, weights, balances, configurations, et cetera, from the beginning. That's not something yes, that can just be pencil lift. Yeah, awesome. Absolutely, and then really that comes down to company commanders taking ownership of the OEL, because. To be honest, that's probably the last thing they're worried about because that has to go in so early. They're still training. They're still deciding which soldiers are, are going to go for whatever reasons. They're going to have you know, medical reasons and other things come up on their plate that they have to deal with. Um, and as a commander, you know, there's always more things to do than you have time for. So OELs have a tendency, or UDLs as well, have a tendency to be uh, lower on the priority and not just um, – that really takes a lot of work from that commander to prioritize that appropriately. A recommendation that I, I, I give to some of the command teams is, is as you're changing out or you're taking command um, and you're going through your property book, um, you should go through your OEL. When you sign, when, when your hand receipt holders are signing their, their hand receipt every month, break the, the OEL down into a platoon level exercise. So if you have a hand receipt, a part of your hand receipt is the OEL for your platoon. Sign it and validate. Yes, these are the bumper numbers for this equipment. This I did not get a new truck. I didn't change the bumper numbers. Uh, you know, I did what I was supposed to. Um, and then you can have that accountability at the lowest level, uh, which will make it easier for the commanders uh, to to execute. You know, their their yearly submission to Fortcom. So. You know, we owe OELs to Forcecom, but it's on an annual basis. 
So sometimes the unit won't see it until, oh man, your OEL is due in December and it's December 15th. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that, I, that is, that is my guidance that I give, uh, tie it to the property book and make sure they understand the difference between the property book and the OEL. And the difference between the property book and the OEL is the OEL is the transportation document, right? It's a unit, uh, organizational equipment list. It is the things that will get put on a boat or a plane. If it can get packed into a container, it should not be on the OEL, right? That, that's the easiest way that I can explain it. And for the operators out there, um, your deployment is an operation. Use it as a training opportunity. This is how I would configure my, my company or my squad or my platoon's vehicles to execute this you know, tactical mission. And, but before I can get to the enemy, I have to put it on the boat or I have to put it on the train or I have to put it on the plane. Um, thinking at that mindset down at the lowest level makes the deployment process extremely simplified. I have to say the pre-deployment is a proactive activity. Uh, sometimes commanders in the battalion level and below, uh, they wait late to uh, do OEL submissions uh, to sustain a CDDP training readiness. Uh, they get them out of the door. And, 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 and the most neglected things that they do sometimes is uh, they neglected their containers. Uh, container management is key. Uh, one of the biggest problems, it's a systemic problem army-wise in which a container is not important on to not get orders to deploy. And, and maintaining container readiness is very critical. So if I had to give you three advice to uh, the audience is stay on top of your OEL, keep that CDDP training going, and make sure those containers are deployable. Uh, and last but not least, this is always think about that enlisted soldier that is gonna execute the mission. The, the other thing about the containers, right? So your containers are not just your 20 foot containers, right? Your BOH containers, your HIPPOs, Trans. your CKs, uh, all of that support equipment that has a CSC certified sticker on it is considered a container by regulation and it won't deploy. So that is extremely important for your BSBs and some of your other support elements. Um, when you have to provide logistical support and oh well, you can't bring your hippos or you can't bring your, your, your fuel systems because they're not CSC certified. Or, or your beaver fits or rally fits just to do your, your readiness workout when you deploy into an Astory environment. There's an ownership aspect of it uh, and people have to own not, not only their equipment right we talk about that in terms of maintenance we talk about that in terms of uh, accountability but people have to own their deployment process remember sir nothing happens until something moves that's right <laughs> that's right yeah exactly love it way to go sergeant major well gentlemen uh, thanks again for joining us uh, for talking about your work uh, informing us uh, quite a bit uh, on the, the job of the DTO, the role of the DTO, how the division deploys. Um, but before we let you go, I'd like to ask you a few more questions uh, to help the audience get to know you a little bit better and then provide some mentorship. Uh, and the first question, uh, kind of our standard one here, is, is what books are you reading or, or have you read recently that you'd recommend? Sergeant Major. Uh, right now, I'm, I'm reading The Inch on Landing by Michael Langley. Uh, 
is, is tremendous information how uh, General Douglas MacArthur pulled off uh, and recaptured, you know, the city of Seoul. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing how many times uh, we, we serve in the Korean Peninsula, but we know little about the history behind. So if I had to uh, recommend a good reading, specifically if you want to understand the importance of sustainment in the battlefield, just that landing changed the whole perspective of the war by just cutting the supply routes uh, to the Chinese and North Korean forces. Favorite movie, believe it or no, it's fiction, uh, but, but, but the story is very transparent. I, I think Savings Private Ryan was a really good story. Uh, and Tom Hanks' performance in there is, is one of a kind. Imagine uh, it, it shows it shows the great generations as we're losing them every day, uh, uh, the sacrifice they did uh, to liberate the, 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 uh, the people of Europe uh, from the Nazi regime. Uh, great movie. Uh, if you haven't watched it, uh, you just, just, just go ahead, take your time and watch it. If you already watched that movie, go and do it again. It's a lesson learning in there. All right, so I, um, I'm a soldier. I've been a soldier for a really long time. So I don't like to read military books. I'm a nerd. I like sci-fi and stuff like that. Um, I read Neil Asher. Uh, he's a European author. Um, my one of my favorite books is uh, Dark Intelligence. It's a it's a trilogy. So um, yeah, you should get after that. His favorite movie again. I'm a nerd, right? So um, I. I think uh, I think the new Spider-Man is going to be my favorite movie. And I haven't even seen it yet. You know, I'm actually going to see it tomorrow. Um, but Fight Club, all-time favorite movie. I can't really talk about it, but you can't talk about it. You, it's the first rule. You can look at look up the name. Yeah. All right, sir. Okay. Uh, so yeah, for my reading, I'm currently going through uh, George Marshall by David Roll. Uh, he's kind of a personal hero of mine. Really enjoyed kind of looking at uh, how he approached being. Uh, a soldier and then later a statesman. I found that very interesting and, and a lot of lessons there on how to deal with people and, and uh, just being a professional officer. I really enjoyed some of the reading about him and his experiences. Uh, movies, so I grew up watching old movies with uh, with my dad. I'll, I'll make the comment, you know, I don't need no stinking badges and a lot of the my soldiers and lieutenants have no idea what I'm talking about, but I'd have to say my uh, favorite is probably Good, Bad and the Ugly. It's just kind right. of a classic. I uh, really enjoyed that movie. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, and then, so for a little bit more mentorship there, if you could tell your 20-year-old selves one thing, what would it be? Uh, for me, it would be just be humble and be proud of who you are regardless. Uh, I think we are living in a uh, so diversified environment, so diversified uh, society now. Uh, this song... Uh, young men and women out there has lost their uh, personality. So I always say, hey, be who you are and be proud of who you are regardless. That's my... I would say to myself, accept the challenge. Uh, don't let the fear of you not thinking you're good enough stop you because you'll probably prove yourself wrong. And then the other thing I would say is, you do you, boo-boo, kind of like what Sergeant Major said, <laughs> right? 
stop, stop trying to worry about what everybody else is doing and just do what makes you happy. Um, and everybody else will come along eventually. Right. So the, uh, for me, so the only thing that I'll go back and change a little bit is probably my spending habits as a 20 year old, try to <laughs> do a little bit better on the saving. The other piece that I heard from uh, a really good mentor of mine, um, from my last assignment, uh, that I would have loved to have gotten a little earlier in my career was, you know, there's two things that he said that successful, um, solve your boss's boss's problem and don't be a jerk. Awesome. Some great advice. Well, I appreciate you guys being on here. Uh, Thanks as always for listening and join us next week on uh, To Be Published.